Hello and welcome to the St. Emlyn's Podcast. I'm Simon Carley and today we're going to be doing something rather exciting. We're going to be talking about a new trial which is being published, gosh, within the last 24 hours. And I am joined today by an old friend, colleague and a bit of a hero of mine, Caroline Leach. Oh, Simon, thank you. Uh, so I'm Caroline Leach. I'm a consultant in emergency medicine and pre-hospital care working in Coventry. And the reason that Simon's invited me to talk is because I was very fortunate to be not only a principal investigator on the crash through trial, but also I was involved in the writing committee with the trial team. So I've had chance to have a look at those results before some of you and digest what it might mean for clinical practice. Okay, so what we're going to do in this podcast is talk a little bit about the trial, because I'm sure everybody's wanting to know, does tranexamic acid work in head injury? Because that's fundamentally what the trial is about. And then we'll talk a little bit about the details. And then what I really want to get into is what does this actually mean for practice? Because I actually think this is a bit of a game changer. I think it's a really exciting trial. And just sort of like some headline stats, I think this is the biggest trial we've had to date in head injured patients. And I think it might be the first to show a difference if we give a drug so it's very exciting oh you're getting to the results too early there you're getting to the results so let's let's just do a little bit of tempting with people and try and get them to not, get a lot of think about the trial in a little bit more detail before we tell them where you know hold them hold them on edge exciting simon let's just tell them let's just tell them no no, absolutely not. We've got to say something. So we've got to say, what is CRASH-3? Well, CRASH-3 is a randomized control trial of tranexamic acid versus placebo in patients with head injury. Now, not every patient with head injury. It's, it's a subset of patients with head injury and, and towards the more severe end. So, Caroline, just remind us which patients were entered into this trial. Okay, so you had to be an adult, 16 years or older, with traumatic brain injury. Uh, you had to have a GCS of 12 or less or you had positive uh, CT scan with intracranial bleeding. Um, you obviously couldn't have any extracranial bleeding, which would mean that you'd want to give the patient tranexamic acid. And then the other thing was timings. So to start off with, you had to be within eight hours of injury to be recruited into the trial. But in September 16, um, because of the results of other trials suggesting that the benefit was within three hours of injury, the trial protocol changed. So most of the patients recruited, it's within three hours of head injury. So that's quite important, isn't it? There was a number of other trials, such as the woman trial, the CRASH-2 trial, which when they did a time analysis on that, they showed that the benefits of TXA sort of diminished at three hours. And possibly there was a potential harm, actually, although we'll come back to that later. And so the trial recruitment changed around about ooh, about halfway through. So now that wasn't done on the basis of the knowledge of the results. That's quite important, but it, it makes a lot more sense. And we'll see as we go through why that's important. Just going back to the patient. So if you were recruiting to this trial, if your patient came in with a head injury and they were GCS 12 or below as they arrived in resus, then you do all your normal things and they'd be eligible for recruitment. You'd recruit them and they would continue in the trial. But your GCS 13, 14, 15 patients, oh, you might not recruit them straight away, or well, you wouldn't, but you get a CT scan. And if they had something like an extradural, a subdural, or a cerebral contusion, then they would go into the trial at that point. So two potentially slightly different time points related to the timing of the CT. So as well, just to remember then, so some of the GCS less than 12 patients wouldn't have had a head injury, but all of the higher GCS patients would have had a confirmed CT scan. And because this was an international trial, it was done in, I think it was 29 countries. And some of those are low middle income countries. So I think a large proportion of patients wouldn't have had a scan initially. They would have been recruited on the GCS of 12 or less. That makes a lot of sense. It's actually 29 countries. Oh, you're absolutely right. 175 hospitals and across the planet, but with some notable exceptions. North America, 
particularly America, not not well represented because the feeling of, of tranexamic acid in North America has been somewhat different to the rest of the world. Yeah, definitely. I don't know why they don't like tranexamic acid. We love it, don't we? Well, I was speaking to uh, Ian Roberts about this at a conference recently, and the feeling was that there is a body of people, and it's not an entirely unreasonable approach, who say that tranexamic acid may have complications. We're going to come back to that. And we should only give a drug if we know there's a problem. So their suggestion is you do a Rotem or a TEG, demonstrate that the patient's got fibrinolysis, and then give the drug. And they're, they're happy with that, but we think they think we should demonstrate it first. Well, what, what do you think about that? Well... <laughs> It's not always going to be possible to do that in every country. And if the, what, the way we've translated the results is, you know, if we're going to give it, we're going to give it without the results in the pre-hostile environment to give it as soon as possible. So I don't know. And, you know, if you're in a low middle income country, you don't have that luxury. And so we're denying a potentially good treatment to those patients. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'd also say that your Tegrotem is going to take 15 minutes to come back, even in my research room. So you'll be 15 minutes late. And actually, if you got to the point where you can demonstrate fibrinolysis on, on those modalities, horse, door, bolted, I think you've missed the boat. So that's my feeling. But there, there were those plenty of skeptics out there. We may come back to them later. Right, but go back to the trial. So we recruited this group of patients, loads of patients, and they got what I think is the standard TXA regime now, which is one gram of TXA over 20 minutes or something. 10, 10 minutes, minute. sorry. 10 yeah. minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Get that bit right, Simon. Uh, so quite quickly. And then an infusion of one gram over eight hours. Now, do you know why they give the infusion? So over 10 minutes or over eight hours, which one? No, the eight hour one. Okay. So the first thing to mention is the 10 minutes because lots of people go, just bang it in. Um, the reason that they say don't bang it in, because we some of us do, is because they think it can drop your blood pressure. So that's the first one. I know about that one. What's the reason for the infusion over eight hours, Simon? Well, it's really interesting. And again, this is anecdote, but I thought people would be interested. It was an idea that in crash two, the patients would be bleeding so much, some of them, that they'd actually bleed out the TXA you've just put in. So you had to keep an infusion to keep the rates up. You know, in the massive transfusion patients that we see, they could actually lose so yeah. much, they'd lose it all. And so how do we translate that to head injury? Well, there is a question. So it oh. may not, mm, it may not be absolutely necessary here, but that's what they've done. So they've gone for the bleeding regime, the same one they used in Crash 2, the same one that was used in the woman trial in postpartum hemorrhage. So interestingly, but just you know, keep that in mind about what we did. And then, so they're given these two drugs or given the drug or the placebo, very well blinded. They're very well established in doing this. Randomized through a normal randomization process in sealed envelopes, quite well done. I can't see any problems with that. And then they followed these patients up for 28 days to basically see primary outcome is dead or alive. And some secondary outcomes, which were around uh, measures of so some degree of disability, but importantly, also looking at complications, particularly thromboembolic complications in the two groups. So that's what they did. Um, Carolyn, what, what do you say were the headline figures that came out for you? So are we going on to results now, Simon? We are indeed. Okay. So uh, we had 12,737 patients recruited. So from their pre-analysis, that would be sufficiently powered to detect a difference. 9,202 of those patients within three hours of injury. So the, the other quarter were three to eight hours post-injury when we were first recruiting. And really importantly, the groups were well matched at baseline. So if you look at all the criteria there in your table one, they are beautifully matched. So there should be no confounding reasons, no biases why that the, there should be a difference in the groups. 
Okay, and the headline figures, 28 days overall mortality? So, tranexamic acid treatment within three hours of injury reduces head injury deaths. Yes, it does. But the figures I've got in front of me would suggest that you got 18.5% of patients died if they had TXA versus 19.8% if they had placebo. So not actually quite significant, not quite statistically significant because the confidence intervals pass over one. So that was interesting, but there's a definite trend in that way. But that's not all they did. So the overall deaths figure, if you give it to absolutely everybody, doesn't seem to make a difference. But So what they then did was they said, well, if you've got a GC score of three and bilateral unreactive pupils, being honest, can tranexamic acid ever make a difference in that group? Because these patients are probably not bleeding. They probably have some other devastating brain tissue injury. So let's take those patients out. Um, And this was already planned before the trial finished. That's what they were going to do. And then have a look at what is the risk of head injury death then? And if we do that, it's 12.5% in the tranexamic acid group versus 14% in the placebo group. And then the relative risk changes. So it's 0.89 and the confidence intervals are 0.821. So we're now looking, if we take those patients out who we think might be futile, and we can discuss that as well, then actually the benefits look even better. So that's really important. The, the key thing there, this is a pre-specified analysis. It was in their analysis plan that they published before they did this. So it's not data mining. They've not gone through with a black box and tried to find stuff. This was pre-planned. And it makes sense, doesn't it? The patients who's got a massive bleed or massive intracranial injury, the damage has already been done. And if you think about what TXA is trying to do, it's trying to reduce the amount of further bleeding that you get. So it's really about managing that secondary brain injury rather than the primary brain injury or what's already happened. Does that does that make sense? Is that your same feel for that? It is, yeah. And so um, you, you'll check my maths for me because you're more clever than I am. But I think that gives a number needed to treat of 67. So if we give tranexamic acid to 67 patients with head injury, then we should be able to save one additional life is what we're saying from the results of that trial. And that, I think, is quite similar to the difference that we found in CRASH-2. Yes, it is. Um, Absolutely precise on that. If your patient does not have unreactive pupils and they're not GCS3, the number comes out at 67. You can look at some other subgroups in there as well. So if your patient's got bilaterally reactive pupils, you only need to treat 58 patients with TXA. And if your patients are GCS of 9 to 15 with some blood on the CT, I reckon it's also about 59 patients. People often get confused about NNTs, number needed to treat. You've articulated it very well, the number of people we need to treat to save one life at 28 days here. But those numbers, 59, is that a big number? Is it a small number? Is it a medium number? I think if we think of how many patients die of head injury every year, um, it's probably quite a significant result, isn't it? It's really very significant. If you think about things like aspirin in MI, I think the NNT for that is 42. You're not a million miles away from something which we would all regard as absolutely, you know, really critically important. And as you say, it's not dissimilar. In fact, in certain groups, it's probably better than the use of TXA in bleeding trauma. So I think this is really important. And in those subgroups in the 9 to 15 and the, in the mild to moderate group, the confidence intervals clearly go nowhere near one. And it's, it is statistically, even more statistically significant. Yeah. So I suppose that's the next discussion, isn't it? So are you going to give it, who are you going to give it to? And so in this trial, patients with severe head injury, it it didn't show that much benefit, if any benefit, but patients who had mild and moderate head injury, so that is GCS 9 to 15, then they are the patients who obviously seem to benefit the most. 
So that sort of then starts to be interesting as to how we might think about using it in clinical practice. It does. And, and your definition there of severe head injury is the group with a GCS of eight or less, or the ones with GCS three, or the ones with bilaterally blown pupils. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So in that group, it doesn't seem to make that much of a difference. There was one little subgroup analysis, which I thought was interesting, but again, pre-specified. If you had reactive pupils, even if your GCS was in that lower group, it, it had benefit as well. So practically, there's a couple of other things. The first is around timings. They've yet again shown that there's a benefit the earlier you get the treatment. So in those groups which have shown benefit, the earlier you give the TXA, the better. So it's the same sort of thing as with CRASH-2, the bleeding trauma patient. This is something which is not going to be given on the wards or in theatre or even in the ED. It's, it's a pre-hospital drug, I think. It is, definitely. Um, so I think I worked out in the mild to moderate head injured patients, there is a 10% reduction in the effectiveness of transamic acid for every 20-minute delay. And that's in the mild and moderate head injury. So remember, if you've got severe head injury, tranexamic acid will probably not work and time probably doesn't make a difference. That kind of makes sense. But in the mild and moderate head injury, as soon as possible, you're going to need to give it. And the longer you leave it, the worse the chances are it will be effective. And so that's going to start potentially bringing in ideas for best practice tariff payments and for quality indicators. So in um, the CRASH-2 type patients, the patients with extracranial bleeding, we're now leaning to giving tranexamic acid within one hour of injury. And so if we we're going to translate it, I think it would probably be exactly the same for, for CRASH-3 type patients. And that's from the point when you know it's appropriate to give it. So that'd be definitely the patients who are 9 to 12 GCS because those were recruited at that point. For the 13 to 15s, I suppose it would be at the point where you realise that they've got blood on their CT because that would be the inclusion point. Would you advocate giving it for everybody just on the chance that they might have it on their CT? So just going back, so you sort of suggested you might want to exclude severe head injury from administration. Is that right? Not necessarily exclude because yeah. there is that issue about some of those group on the on some of the analysis. If they've got reactive pupils, there's possibly uh, a reason to give it. But the question I think you're asking, which I think is a good one, is could we harm that group of patients if we gave the TXA? I don't think we could, could we? I think, so for me, GCS less than 12, head injury, boom, you're getting it straight away. No question about it. We've got that group in the study. The interesting thing starts to be, what if your GCS 13? What if you're 14? So definitely not, I wouldn't give it to a 15 without any CT scan. But what about if you're 13 and you think, oh, this definitely looks like somebody who's got a head injury and I'm going to be a long distance to get to hospital and then there might be a delay for them to get a scan. Do you want to give it to that patient? That's the interesting one for me, the GCS 13 and 14. Well, I think the key question there is about risk benefit. So on that GCS 13 patient in front of you, we know that if they've got something on their CT scan, they're going to benefit from TXA. And we know that giving TXA early is better. What would be the downside? Well, there's always this concern about increased numbers of thromboembolic events or hypertension or other potential problems with TXA. But in this study, just to reiterate, and in the woman trial and in CRASH-2, when you actually do a proper analysis and not just observational data like some papers have done, if you look at that, there isn't an increase in complications. It seems to be a remarkably safe drug. So on the risk-benefit profile, although it wasn't proven in this trial, you know, technically that group was not looked at, I think I would go with your idea. I think I would give it. So which would be your GCS cutoff, Simon? Gosh, I think I'd make a little bit of a, a judgment decision, but 
I think anybody who's not GCS 15 with an obvious head injury, I'm going to consider giving this drug. There may be times when I have a fairly obvious reason why they potentially don't have a GCS 15, thinking toxicology issues. I don't want to give TXA to the same person every three days for the next three months because we do have patients like that. So, I mean, presumably a TXA in those doses, maybe it can be toxic. So I think there is an element of judgment in there, but my preference would be in the 13s and the 14s, I would be erring to say, should I be giving TXA here? A default position, I'm probably going to, unless I've got a good reason not to. So there's something else interesting, again, in the um, sort of decision to give it, and that's around, do you wait for your CT scan to give it to the patient? And then are they going to still be within three hours? And what if they're not within three hours? Because from a crash two perspective, the study suggested there might be harm after three hours. Now, the results are different in this trial. And this is something else that's really important for sort of readers to understand. We said a quarter of the patients were recruited between three and eight hours after head injury. And in that group, we've got the results for their death rates and their complications and whether or not they had vascular occlusive events. And there's no evidence in the CRASH-3 trial that administration of tranexamic acid beyond three hours and up to eight hours increased the risk of head injury, death or complications. And there was also no difference in the prevalence of disability in survivors between the two groups. So unlike CRASH-2, the extracranial bleeding, if I had a patient in front of me who'd had an injury more than three hours ago, but less than eight hours, I think I would be tempted to give it to those patients as well. I don't think the data necessarily supports your assertion, but I'd be quite happy for you to do so on the basis of what we've seen. In terms of, the data doesn't support you in terms of therapeutics, but in terms of harm, yes, I agree. The data would suggest that there isn't a major problem. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. So there's a couple of other groups which I think I would like your opinion on, actually. The first is children. Now, you did say at the beginning that those under the age of 16 were excluded. So what do you think about kids? Should we give it to kids with head injury? Well, let's go back to what we thought about CRASH-2. So we are never going to be able to provide a trial with enough patients in it to give a statistically significant result in children. And I think it would be entirely appropriate to translate the results of the effect in adults to children. I can't think of why they would have a different response. And so I would hope that the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health will agree again that we should translate the results and probably use the same pragmatic dosage schedule that they recommended before. So that was 15 milligrams a kilogram loading dose and then the maintenance infusion of two milligrams per kilogram per hour. So I would like to use it in children who have traumatic brain injury using the same criteria as I'm going to use for adults. I would completely agree with that. And the second group is that interesting paradox that in CRASH-2, we excluded patients with isolated head injury. In CRASH-3, we excluded people with significant extracranial trauma. But patients don't naturally fall into one of those two groups. If you get hit by a bus, you've got a head injury and you may have a bleeding injury. This is an obvious question, but we have to ask it. Should we give TXA to those patients? If we're going to give it within three hours, yes, we definitely should. If it's beyond three hours? then I think we're going to go back to the CRASH-2 results where there's a suggestion that there might be harm. So we're going to do a case-by-case -case assessment, but I'm probably going to try and stick within my three hours if I think they've got extra cranial bleeding. Okay, so let's try and summarise that. Or is there anything else you want to say about this trial? So I think the other thing is we're talking about giving an intravenous drug it's only £1.20 at the moment for a one gram dose in the UK. So that's another reason to give it liberally, I would say. And also really fantastic again for those lower middle income countries. 
that there's a drug that they can use and afford. One of the issues is around developing or or semi-developed countries. They don't have ambulance services that can cannulate. And then the other sort of group that we also need to think about are casualties on the battlefield where you obviously can't cannulate. So the other sort of thing to mention is that there's some trials going on at the moment that are looking at intramuscular tranexamic acid. So that's the next thing that we're interested in. Could you have an auto-injector of TXA that you don't need a cannula, but the patients who would be eligible from crash two or crash three can get IM TXA. So that's um, work ongoing at the moment that's probably worth keeping our eyes on as well. Because it might be for patients in the pre-hospital environment with a higher GCS, instead of cannulating, would you give it IM? I don't know. Well, if it works, absolutely. Um, it would make, a, make life a lot easier. And it also goes back to that question about whether or not that infusion element is required, whether or not intramuscular injection would provide a degree of that or whether or not. I think it would have to be studied. I don't think we could directly move to that without some proof of concept that it would work. Yeah, I agree. So we've got a randomized control trial, the right sort of trial to test this. It's TXA versus placebo. Caroline, the doses were? One gram of loading dose over 10 minutes, and then one gram maintenance infusion over eight hours. Now, this is the biggest trial of head injured patients ever. And they did this trial to see what the principal outcome was, whether or not they were alive or dead at 28 days. So at 28 days, overall, you are better off with TXA. And particularly, if and statistically importantly, you are better off if you're in that mild to moderate group. The patients who had very severe injury, so GCS3, unreactive pupils, or GCS assassinate, they didn't really show a statistical benefit. But that's really good. What about disability, Caroline? So again, there were there were no difference between the two groups, placebo and TXA, in the uh, rates of disability. There were also no uh, differences in the risk of vascular occlusive events or other complications. So TXA is safe in traumatic brain injured patients. That's really important. And of course, although there may be no difference in disability, the disability scores in this study were were not the standard ones that we see, and they were quite early. 28 days is probably too early to judge the final events in head injury, and you're better off being alive. You've got more chance of surviving and more chance of getting a better outcome if you're alive. So overall, my opinion, your opinion, and I think the opinion of most people who read this will be that TXA for um, head injury patients has got to happen. And it's such a big effect. We need to do this now. I think we need to implement the results of this trial as soon as possible into clinical practice. Because head injury is a massive thing and it's applicable both in UK, around the world, Africa, Australasia, um, across the Far East and lots and lots of places. We just need to bring the Americans on board. We do. That's your job, Simon. They're getting there, actually. I think it's. In, I think a lot of people in the US are now using TXA. So I think I think this will be further evidence and I think they'll they'll really appreciate this trial. I've certainly found it fascinating and thank you so much for your efforts, so much for your time for coming on the podcast and we will speak to you again soon, I'm sure. Thank you, Simon. Have fun, everybody. Just before you go, we've got a small favour to ask. Since 2012, we've funded the blog and the podcast and everything around it from our own funds. And it's been great. We've really enjoyed doing it. But the block and the podcast have grown and now we've got such bandwidth and such people contacting us from around the world and listening that it's actually starting to get quite expensive. So if you feel like you can contribute even a tiny amount, then just whiz onto the blog, look on there and you can make a small donation or even subscribe on a regular basis. Even a small amount of cash might make a big difference and help us keep St. Emlyn's free open access medical education. Thank you for your time.